Well, you're back. You're back for part three. Of course you are, actually, because I left you hanging. I asked that question of Gordon about the teaching in the Monghui and how they go about teaching, and so we're going to back up a little bit, give you that question again, and here's his answer in volume three of our Hunt interviews. Earlier, before we were talking, with the, when the recorder wasn't going about the how, how you have seen the teaching progress mm-hmm. in the church. They started off with the Bible. You were their teacher. Right. And you were teaching narrative going through the book of Genesis and Exodus and the Gospel of Mark. And now you've now that teaching has been turned over to the the natives, that they have people within the own Monhui tribe that are teaching and preaching. When you set about teaching them to teach their own people, and what did that look like? How did that how did that transition happen and yeah. what type of teaching do they do? Well, at, at the very beginning when they, when we actually let them do some of the teaching, a Manhui teacher would get up and he would read a verse or two verses or maybe a passage in, in God's word, and then he would sit down. And that was the beginning. No commentary, no, no commentary, nothing. exposition. And little by little that, and then of course we at the same time were still in the teaching role as well. By example, uh, we would give a whole lot more than just a verse. We would give a expository and, a, and an application. And so uh, we began to see them then, they'd read a, a couple of verses, actually they'd read one verse, and then they'd explain what the verse meant. But they wouldn't give any application, any personal application or anything, how they was teaching them something, just what the verse meant. Almost almost paraphrasing the verse. Exactly, that's all they would do. They'd read the verse and then paraphrase the verse, read the next one, paraphrase, read the next one, paraphrase. And uh, I, I would always ask Jeff, I said, Jeff, when is this going to change? We need to see some application. We need to see them actually teaching something. Because as far as they know, that's all it is. And it wasn't until we had two young men in the same month. One was uh, accidentally in a, in a hunting or in a, yeah, it was a hunting accident, and he was killed. And then a week later, a young man, uh, we think he had a heart attack or an aneurysm, and he died. And all of a sudden, the believers begin to realize the shortness of life. And all of a sudden, two or three of the teachers would get up and they would read the passage and then they would turn to one another and they'd say, and this is what we need to understand from this passage. And the reason we need to understand this is that we don't know when one of us might die and we need to really understand. And so they would begin to make application and they began to teach what it meant to them. And that's where we saw the change right then. And from then and that on... that wasn't you that did that. No, it was... That was... The, the, that was the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit. And and to this day, we, we now see application, and we even see one of the teachers actually using cross-referencing from one passage to another. And every time he cross-references away from the passage he's teaching on, he quotes from memory the scriptures that cross-references to that. And we never taught him to memorize either. That's they just, just the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we never really started any Bible, not Bible study, but prayer meetings. But the guys began to realize, some of them said, we need to we pray. We need to pray for the young people. We need to pray for the young people. We need to pray for the people that are unsaved. And they started meeting in the morning real early, yeah. praying for one another. It's, it's awesome to see that that work happens and that they picked that up and decided to do that themselves. themselves. That's, yeah. that's an intrinsic motivation where they're, they're moved by the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We, I mean, we could have told them to do all these things. But the problem is, is that us telling them to do them would have become a form rather than the Holy Spirit. Right. And it's been neat to see it just develop naturally that way. You were talking earlier about the 
how each culture has a flood legend. <laughs> how did you how did you get to the subject of the flood, and how did that happen? Well, um, in the in the uh, as we teach chronologically, we start with Genesis, of course, and after the the fall, you know, you you explain to them, and I was trying to think how I could help these people understand the fact that God's word is the original record of all of these things that take place. And so I I actually stood up and I told them, I'd gotten from them on, ta- on tapes, so I kind of memorized the story. And I told them the story of the flood from their culture. And I gave them the fact of the stork and how the stork and the fox, I guess I could tell the whole story. Yeah, go ahead. You want to do it on tape? Yeah, or absolutely. On, okay. There was, the, there was the stork, and the stork had this jug in the middle of the woods somewhere hidden away. And in this jug was these fish. And he would go on and he'd, he'd take the top off of this jug and he'd reach down and he'd get a fish and he'd eat it. And he'd eat a few of them and then he'd put the lid back on and he'd fly off to what he was doing. One day he invited the fox to come with him. No, actually the fox actually saw him. He snuck up and followed him because he noticed the stork was always fat. So the fox followed the stork in the woods one day and he saw what he did. He took the top off his jug and he ate the fish, put the lid back on and he off he'd go. So the fox waited for him one day to leave. And then the, then after the stork was gone, then the fox went and he, uh, he took the lid off and he started eating and he gorged himself until he, he just couldn't eat anymore. And while he was eating, he ate so much that the, the water started coming up out of the jug. And it went up and up and then it flooded out on the ground. And then it was coming up so high that the fox couldn't get the lid back on. And so the water just kept coming up and it flooded the whole woods and it flooded the whole area. And the flocks floated away and drowned. And then the stork found him floating there dead. And so he, uh, the, the stork put the lid back on the jug and the water finally dried up. And then the stork uh, cremated the fox and he stepped over the ashes and then the fox came back to life. And that's and then the moral of the story is uh, don't be stingy. Now I don't know how that all has anything to do with what we're supposed to learn. Okay, but they have a flood legend. But the point of the story is that's their legend. That's the flood. That's their flood story. And so what I did is I told that story to those guys. Says that's what your old people say, right? That's that's what happened. Why the flood came? And I said, but you know what? I says when you tell a story like that. Are the details always the same? I says, from your young people to your your old people down to the young people, do they tell the same story? And the Monhui themselves would say, no. We The story always changes a little bit. Over the years, it's gotten a little bit different. I say, well, look, I said, that's what happens when we when we tell a story uh, audibly, mouth to mouth, and we pass it on from generation to generation. But, I says, this book right here is the record that God should not gave us and it never has changed because he wrote it down for us. He had people write it down so that it would preserve it. So we would still have to this day the original story. He says, now, let me tell you what really happened, the way it really started. And then I told him the story of Noah and the flood and why God had to send a flood. And I have their attention. They're in the story because yeah. they know, oh, that's what happened. Now we know the true story. So that's how you use it. In their but culture. animals in their culture did talk and speak. Yeah. Oh, and see, animals talked and spoke. Yeah. One of the one of the what would you call additions of that story 
was uh, was that the fox and the stork were talking together, yeah, and they, the stork invited him to eat, but he said, yeah. don't ever leave yeah. the lid off. Yeah, he told him not to. Yeah, I forgot about that part of the story. You're right. Thank you. But huh. they don't, you know, as he tells the story. He said, they, don't ever come here by yourself. Yeah. So there was there was actually regulations placed on that on that pot, too. And because so they violated the regulations. They violated the regulation, the flood came. Yeah. And so really, there's actually some sense to that. There was a sin and there was a sin wickedness involved. and there was a lot of violations yeah. and so So they actually not only had the flood story, they had some regulations with that as well. Interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that part, which is good to add that. Yeah. Did they have a, with the flood legend or their flood legend, did they have a story of somebody surviving? Just the stork? I or did they have a did they have no, an arc? No, it or? doesn't always tie it doesn't always doesn't always it doesn't no. always There's not make a lot of details. Right. And they're not. I mean, it could be that the stork cremated all the animals and jumped yeah. over. And, and they tell it differently it, from it's uh, not generation to generation. The story the the story does change, and from tribe to tribe, there's actually more than one tribe that have the stork and the fox story, like the Neva clay have the story, but it's a little bit different. And there's some immoral stuff going on. It's just a different story, but it still is the flood. And there's still some regulations being broken in that one too. So we can use it, you know, for to show them that hey, we have the original story. You want to hear that one? Right. And you got their attention. In fact, that's one of the reasons, motivation for learning to read it too, because they can read it for themselves. And it never changes. And it doesn't change. Because you've you have it written down. Because it's written down, yeah. Because actually, what was going on was they would go up to the village at nighttime and teach them from the beginning. They'd start teaching them in Genesis. And every time they taught them, then these guys would come back with their stories. And then, that's right. And, and night after night, they would be talking. And, you know, you kind of feel like, what's going on here? But still, you get these stories. And of course, they they would tape them just so that they would have more language to keep studying by. But but once when he finally told them and said, this is the real you know, the, story, the they, story, they stopped telling stories after that. We want to hear the right way, they said. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I already had all those other stories taped and tucked away already. I knew some of their cultural stories already, but they didn't they didn't give me any more. What are the things that they have in their culture that you ran up against when you're translating scripture or teaching them where you're actually trying where you're actually requiring them to do something that is so counterintuitive to them other than mm-hmm. being encouraging, obeying your parents? Maybe like just teaching each other, like he's Snay and his son. Well, yeah, that's one thing. I'm thinking more when we got to the point in we wanted to work through the story of the birth of Jesus. We we really wanted to to explain well that that Jesus was born of a of a young girl who had never had relations before. You know, Mary was was a virgin. And we could not get that concept across. And we kept explaining to him, you know, this young woman had never had relations with a man. And and he said, well, how old was she? He said, well, she was, you know, she was probably as old as uh, your your daughter, who is about 16 years old or 15. Oh, he says, that can't be true. And I said, well, what do you mean that can't be true? He says, well, all of our... Young girls have had relations, even the young, little bitty ones, the little tiny girls, the tots. They've all had relations. So how can we tell them that that would be like telling them a lie? How did you get over that? We just had to keep pursuing it. 
And no, and you no, can't drop the doctrine of the virgin birth just because they don't understand what virgin is. Right. And so we did say, well, in their culture in those days, they kept their young women from being, uh, you know, the, the parents took way. care of their, their children and they wouldn't let allow that to, to take place until they were older. They honestly yeah. could not believe in all the years that we were there that we still hadn't pestered their women. Yeah, that was one of the things they had a hard time with. That was one thing that was really unusual about yeah. our guys. They had our, never, our men stayed away from their women. And the, and when Jeff yeah. Jeff came down with his wife-to-be, this Isne, who is the Bible teacher now that's working with Jeff, he looked at Jeff, and he was there one night. He says, Stacy and I are going to get married, but we're waiting till my parents come home and her parents come home from Indonesia, and we're going to be married. And he says, you're not sleeping with her? He says, no. And his wife says, isn't that hard? And he said, yes, but we're not doing it till that point. And they could hardly it believe so it. so foreign to them, so foreign. And even today, even with the young Christian teens, I, I know they struggle with that. The I, idea of purity is yeah, just... Yeah, it's just almost unheard of. But they That's something that the Spirit they, of God will continue it, to work he, on. He, he is working. We know that there are some that are really working hard at it. And and Isne, the one that she's talking about, he has teenage kids now and he says i've been working with them and working with them but it's so hard to keep them away from each other you know from other the other kids yeah he says but we've tried you know we tried and he says i don't know if they have or not but he says the one that was so close to he says i we just told her she needed to get married now to him and so they didn't have that problem that temptation so they did they married young but they're okay they're they're stuck together yeah and that's their solution is to just have them married younger i think not younger because they got married at that same time anyway. Well, really. they they do they marry were, young. They were pretty young. It's true. But yeah, I think that's as much as they can do right now. But it, it, immorality, and see, they didn't see that as bad immorality. It was just something that happened. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think that's changing now. I really do. But like we talked earlier about the fact, you know, what, what how they see immorality. It wasn't a sin. You know. But like they're learning to work together as husband and wife and not leave each other when they get mad, yeah. not yeah. not break apart. And it, there there are things that they are learning in that area. That Yeah, when we first arrived in the Monhui villages many years ago, we began to one of our one of our projects was to see who was related to who and whose children belonged to who. That helps in language too. Because that's that, another you way learn, we language learn language that way. That's so one of the ways you know they're addressing son or daughter, or grandma, or grandpa. Exactly. Right. You learn all the culture relationships and the terminology for relationships. You know what is? How do you say son? How do you say grandson? How do you say uncle and aunt? And uh, we begin to discover <laughs> that some children were from this man, some children were from that one, from the same woman. She had children by that man, by that man. About five different men in the village had all these children. And it was that way with every woman in the old days. Now it's not near as bad as it used to be, but it was back in those early days. A woman had kids by every man in the village, just about. Not quite, but and and, and but there were some that were. Yeah, worse there were than some. Were, there and there were actually some that you know they had mostly just been married to each other, and that was it. Yeah, and they were faithful. Oh. Yeah, one of the things that I think culturally was a little bit of a shock to us is if um. You guys were newly married, and you got mad at him, and you were pregnant. You aborted your baby. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough one. That, or, really? Oh, a lot yeah. of abortion. Because she's not married to you anymore. She left you. 
or they didn't want it, they would abort it, or they... Um, or the child had a defect. If it had some kind of defect, they would, would kill it. Would they kill a defective child after it was born? Oh, definitely. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah they would. A lot of times. Well, and, that was the it, only way they could tell would be after birth. And, and okay. yeah, for the defected ones. But there have been some that they just decided, my husband left me, I had this baby, I don't want it, and they usually buried it alive. Yeah. That was one of the hardest, the hardest thing things for us. Yeah. To, I mean, we never saw it. They never did it around us. They, they come tell they, us afterwards. Yeah, see, they knew they that knew. there was something wrong. They did know it was Their conscience wrong. knew. Their conscience knew, and that's why never. we didn't ever find out about it till later. But there came a time. Yeah. This guy, this lady's husband died. They had a baby, and this little boy had a toe missing, and his arm was kind of weird because it's got a crease in it or something. But they were afraid that baby wasn't going to live. Wouldn't survive. Wouldn't survive. Wouldn't be able to walk. They'd never seen a baby born without the big toe or something. They thought, oh, he's going to be crippled. And the mother wanted to kill it, but the father wouldn't let her, which was highly unusual, but he was a believer. Yeah. And that child lived, and he's grown up big boy, and he's just fine, and he walks fine. But she told me a year later, she says, I'm glad I didn't kill him. My husband wouldn't let me. But, she, but she, then she confessed to me. I was afraid he wouldn't walk. Yeah. And so they're not being mean and cruel. They, they just, just know it's not going to survive. They just don't think. Yeah. And it was survival and, of the fittest. Yeah, it definitely. was a rough life they lived. But that, I think, culturally speaking, that was, especially the first few years we were out there, that was something I had the hardest time in the yeah. world with, was that somebody would come back in from the woods and they'd say, oh, my baby died. But you knew, you found out from somebody else that they killed the baby. There's nothing you could do to talk them out of it. No. Could you volunteer to take the baby? We did. We did once. Yeah. We did once. We had twins. The same person that had done that had thought about killing her baby, she had twins. She was sick. The whole family was sick. She had twins, and they were just tiny little things. So she gave me one. So mm-hmm. I took it home with me. And there were, of all things, it happened to have a doctor out there who put an IV tube in the stomach because she couldn't nurse and showed me how to feed her. How to put food in it. And, but she still didn't live very long. But we, we tried to keep her alive. Uh, and then, then the, the, um, two weeks later, the other we twin died, we which fly they it were out because the plane there was wasn't no plane or something. At that time. But two weeks later, the other twin died too, that they were taking care of, but she could not take care of too. So she gave it to me, yeah. which I was going to give to my friend when I got it healthy, but it didn't get healthy. No, it was a hard one. She could never have kids. But that was the beginning of not killing their babies. Yeah. But yeah, that, right. Cause, I, I cause think. Because twins before even sometimes. Oh, it was scary. Killed. But some of their twins lived. Some tribal people felt like it was demonic, but they didn't. They had twins that grew up. Mm. But it's just hard on them to do it. And they were really sick, and the kids were a little bit premature. They were but premature. that part of life probably was the hardest thing I ever went through yeah. down there, being with them and accepting not accepting the culture, but yeah. accepting the people. I could just, you know, it was very hard to love them after I knew they killed that baby or something. You right. know, it was just, but I'll, I'll never forget. I will never forget when, when somebody came over to me and it was again, the wife of one of these, one of our new believe, very first, but it was a lot. Anne's wife. Yeah. She was, she was telling me, she says, so-and-so had her baby, but it was born without a leg and without an arm. That baby would have never survived, but that's beside the point. But they buried it. And she says, when the baby died, I saw its little fist waving. And she looked at me and she says, that was murder, wasn't it? 
<laughs> that's when they started realizing. And I just looked at him and I thought, and what is the American culture to this day doing? Yeah. You know, we're going backwards while the Monahui people are beginning to realize, hey, these are real life people and it is murder. The culture is heading away from that now. Yeah, it is, definitely. Wow. Again, is it just believers or is it the whole group? It's hard to say. It might be just the believers. I haven't heard too many of them, but they also have. We're not not out there. The government has given them birth control, so they don't have quite as many. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) that's one thing. So who knows what it is or not? Provide birth control. But let me tell you that at least the believers realize that's murder. It's murder. But I did. I, I struggled with it. I remember. I remember every time I run, would run into, it, especially a family that I knew. I just thought I could have taken that video. I would have helped you in any way, shape, or form. And I just, it was just hard for me. And I had to realize that I've got to love these people anyway. You know. But that was probably the hardest. It's not a pleasant thing to talk about. You might not want to. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, did the parents not have? Do they not have an attachment to their children? Not like we do. No, I took a little lady to the hospital, had a little boy. He was dying of protein malnutrition. His kidneys failed, and he finally died. But he was, they were in the hospital for about two weeks, and we tried everything, and that's when I got to know the – it was a German lady there, the nurse, I mean the doctor, and she was really good to him. But there was just nothing we could do, and he died. And so then I took her over to the guest house, and we were waiting for the airplane to come get us so I could take her back. But she cried, you know, when the baby died. And then we went to the guest house, and and she looked at me, and she says, did I cry enough? They always wail and stuff, you know. And, I mean, what could I tell her? I just told her, I said, yes, I know, you know, and you'll do more crying when you get out there with your people. But, yes, you cried enough. But they don't. Something like they turn on and turn off like a faucet. Yeah. They huh. love their children. They really do. It's just that yeah. when we're when we first get well, before I had kids, I mean, growing up, you know, I wanted children so bad. I had them all named before I got married kind of thing, you know. That's just, and and you have your child, and, and you know you're expecting. It's such a precious little thing. To, they don't think about it. No. They don't. They don't even, they didn't used to name their children for a while after they were born. And I'm, I've never, they've never said this is exactly why, but I'm, Fairly certain it was because they weren't sure the kid would live. They had so why such give it a, a name? low rate of there was mortality very, very, for their little yeah, It was very poor at first. Do you remember when the little boy, who was about two years old, and I went with his family to the to the hospital there? He um he actually had meningitis, I think. Mm. But we took him to the hospital, and he stopped breathing in the airplane, and so I was breathing for him. Gave him artificial. And his dad was back there patting me. Nancy, tell the pilot to turn around, turn around. Tell the pilot to turn around. He's dead. No need to go into town. Well, yeah. then he, he was okay, and we took him to town, and he only lived that night. He ended up dying. He just had too much going against him. But on the way on the way back, he was telling me, he says, he says, our little babies die. He says, but this one, he called me daddy. And see, that's when they started start bonding them. and naming them, and that meant a lot to him. Yeah. That was really hard for them. To lose a child like that. That meant a lot to him, too, that Nancy actually tried to revive him and, and helped it. That To this day, he, he loves has a me. special place in his heart for her. <laughs> he does. Every time he, he sees me, he, you know, he, he just gives me this big hug. And he always tells her, he says, well, he says, you know the kids that lived. He says, this is what they're doing. And he tells her what, all mm-hmm. about his children that, that didn't die. But, yeah, they're they're not, 
they're not attached to them when they're young, when they're babies. Culturally, with it's such high, yeah, high infant mortality, yeah. you have to be able to detach yourself from it and refuse to get attached. Well, I think so, and that's probably that that negative process that we were telling you when they have their babies, yeah. when they're when they're going into labor. Most of the women around will tell the mother in 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 labor, the you know, the baby's probably going to die, probably going to die, or, die, or just... it's dead, or something like that. They yeah. they just don't look on the bright side of things. They 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 expect the worst. Yeah. They don't do that now, but that's right. the that's what it was like. In the beginning, because so many did. They did die. Yeah. They did live a really rough life. They lived in the woods. They, they had to. They had to survive by hunting and gathering. That's what they did all the time. There weren't any neighbors, any ranchers that they could work for oh. much. There was, there was nothing around. They went into the woods. They gathered, um, beans and tubers and different things that would grow different seasons, cactus fruit. And they tell you stories of when there was when they ran out of water. Yeah, like they drank the water from the lagoons that would it was just low areas where the rainwater would collect, but in the dry season, of course, those all dry up, and, and so they, they have go to, to they find have another to one. Keep on the move, looking for water. And there was one year they told us that it didn't rain all the way through the rainy season; it never rained, and they they were just about to die, and uh, their their tongues were all swollen up, and they'd been eating. Cactus. There's one a barrel cactus that they can chop and get squeeze some water out. They'd eaten every one of those, and of course that has some bitterness to it that really made their their mouths and tongues swell up bad. And I guess when the finally the first rain did finally come, they were standing out in the open holding their mouths open. They were so thirsty. It did rain finally. Wow. That doesn't happen every That's year, but you get seldom, seasons it, like yeah. that. It was a rough life for yeah. them to have to live, and then. It'd be our summertime here in the north, but their wintertime in the it's south, dry. it's yeah. really dry. And, they're, of course, in wintertime, you don't have a lot of cactus, anything. Nothing is... Nothing grows. There's no, so they get this, um, what do you call that? It's like a, it's like an onion bulb in the ground. Yeah, it's a cactus. And they had to collect it, and then they burn it down. And it, it's not... I mean, It's it hard to eat. It's hard to eat. It's, it tastes pretty good, but it's not real... It, wears, it even wears their teeth down because they, but they it, it scrape their teeth on the on the uh, leaves to get the juice out. But they always say the the phrase they would say nai nai hey and loop it. Yeah, it doesn't make it you, doesn't, doesn't make you, you it up. doesn't fill you up. So it, it barely it, takes the hunger pains away. But that's yeah. what they would talk about, you know. Sometimes how bad it was. Sometimes. So did they have a god a, a god system in their culture? Of no. something that they offered sacrifices to, no. or tried to worship, or anything like that. No, they basically don't. they lived in fear of spirits, and, and there was nothing. They had they had certain spirits that were more powerful than others. They had a, a, a bird god, or a bird spirit, that in their in their uh, stories they would tell about him. A lot of times, how uh, they there was a another spirit that was uh, killing their children off, and so they would go to this bird. He was called the Hosa, and actually, what he is is he's the he's a they call it a uh, uh, it's a falcon is what it is, and he's got a, a red hat, a red red headed feathers on his head. Th- that particular bird stood out as their most important uh, spirit or god. I guess you could say god in a sense, but they didn't worship it, nor did they offer to it. They just went to it for help and asked it to come and 
Take, but they did that take, in their chanting. It was they all didn't actually go to a bird. No, it was just enchanting. They would imagine that in their ch- in their minds, and they would be talking to this spirit to help. But they them. didn't shoot that bird or kill it. No, either. his one bird that they still to this day won't. They shoot. will not shoot it. But it's just because it was important in their mythology, basically. Mm. But of course, to them, it's not a myth. It's it was the truth. Birds and spirits and certain animals are some armadillos. Uh, are they flip-flop into the spirit world or into the real world. They're not always sure. At least the, the unsaved Monho used to think that. They weren't al- always sure if it was a real or not. And in fact, I had one, when I was first teaching, years and years ago, teaching the, just beginning the chronological teaching, I was up at night with this one guy sitting around the fire at night telling him about creation. And he, he, he turned and he, he patted me and he says, hey, do you see that? Do you see that armadillo there? He's walking right behind you. And I turned around. I had a flashlight. He didn't. He just had the, the light from the fire. I turned my flashlight on and shined it and ran back and forth. And I said, no, I don't see anything. He said, you didn't see that armadillo? I said, no. He says, well, then it was a spirit. So he saw something. He saw something, but I didn't. That's how in tune they were to the spirits. Now, I don't and know whether we spirits. don't know. If, he, later <laughs> right. on, that very man, because he was a believer, he said, you know, we would see things. And he says, now I think that it was just Satan's trick, because Satan is the deceiver. You've taught us that. He's always tricking us into thinking that there's something there, so we're afraid. Because he wants to keep us in fear, so that we we don't want to listen to God's words. We just want to be afraid. And he says, I don't know now if I really saw those things, or if it was just Satan tricking my mind. But they had a lot of fears. The, lot of fears, the barn yeah. owl... That brought the flu. Yeah, certain animals, certain animals brought bad things. They had a walking stick. Uh, you know what a walking stick is? Yeah, well, I think I know. Well, it's just a big, long, long bug that looks like a stick, basically, and they they get some. But big they ones. got giant ones. Oh, oh, you're talking about the bug, the walking a stick. Bug. Yeah, okay, the bug, yeah, yeah. the walking stick. Well, this big bug was. They were very afraid of it because that would bring the flu. They said. And so if if it bit you or if no, it was near you or just, just, just if it was there, you hear a barn owl at nighttime around mm-hmm. your house, you're probably going to get sick. Yeah, the sickness there. A lot of things would bring sickness. They thought it's more superstition really than yeah, we would call it superstition. No, but sickness was believe me, a very for them important it wasn't superstition. It was the real the real deal. They were very afraid until they of became sickness. believers. You know, now the believers, of course, they say you know a lot of stuff was just deceptions of Satan. All it was. I remember going with my friend one time to the garden, and she had killed a lizard and put it in her bag because they eat lizards. They eat lizards. And so we got to the garden, and she started taking, she took the lizard out of the bag, and she was going to wrap it up in something. And I said, what are you doing? She looked at that lizard, she looked at me, and she says, I don't believe it. And she put the lizard back in. And I said, what don't you believe? She says, the old people, they always told me that if, if you have, if you get any kind of animal blood on your squash that you're going to put in the bag and carry home, your garden will die. It'll get worms. And she says, I don't see how that can be possible. She began to see through some of those things, yeah. And it's not because you gave her the science Mm-mm. of what transmits disease and all of that. It's just that the, their eyes were open to the They're, truth. To the truth, right. yeah. And, and they, it, they begin to realize that that the truth was so great, much greater than all those those old beliefs, yeah. And like the women, it was very hard for them. But at certain times of the month, they don't eat meat. And they don't eat honey, wasn't Honey, they? honey or meat. And that's their main staples. That was what was keeping them alive and healthy and everything. And they would quit. They, they, they weren't allowed to. Well, 
some of the women, once they were saved, they began to realize this is harming ourselves. We can't do this, and we don't believe it anymore. Yeah. God takes care of us. God gave us the food. And they began to learn to be thankful, and instead and they, of and, and you know they did not avoid that at certain yeah. times. They, and they, they saw had. it as Satan too, keeping they, them. They kept. They would tell us, so, "Yeah, that Satan. That was one of Satan's rules." They lived in so much fear. Yeah. It is amazing to see them now. They love the passage in Ephesians 6 about put on the, wear, the armor. Because I tell you what, it's a lot more literal for them. So how do you, that's an, you know, going back to the translation issue, a passage like that, are they familiar with the concepts of sandals, shields, swords? We had to do a little more explanation, but it worked very well with them because they, they know what a, a machete is, a machete, you know. It's, and they, they have a word for that? Yeah, yeah. They do. And so you could use that. And, and they knew, they know shoes. You know, they shoes are seeing us, and some of them have shoes. So, and when well, you put the right meanings on and the helmet was just a hat, but it was a hat made of, a hard hat made of metal so that the, the arrows wouldn't pierce it. And you have to, like I say, you have to add description to what it's for. But when you get all that in there, it, it made pretty good sense to them. And then you say, but not only do you say, put on the helmet of salvation, you say, you have to say what you really are doing literally. You are, you're, you're asking God to protect your mind, which is like putting on a, a hard hat to protect from Satan's arrows. So you actually have to take the, the metaphor and, and add the meaning to it in order for them to understand. Cause they in can't, translating it. In translating it. If you, if you just translated it, it would make put sense. on the hard hat. It wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. Of salvation. Yeah, it wouldn't make any sense to him. So you have to build in all that meaning to it, given both the metaphor and it is like this. Just in the translation itself. In the translation itself. So can is it possible in that culture to translate it, put on the hard hat of salvation, and then go about the process of teaching them what that means you could, in order to thin down the yeah, translation? You could do that. That is a choice that we had, whether or not to, to leave the teaching to, to fill that meaning in, or, or even in a footnote. I just chose at that time to build in the whole thing. Revision will probably... It would when they do their own revision, they can probably knock that out. You'll clean. They'll clean up some they'll of clean that. Up their own, yeah. and then uh, some of that can be relegated to a footnote. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that will ha- probably happen before long. You'll have the Gordy Hunt Study Bible in the Manhui language. In it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll leave that to make it Isnay's Study Bible. Let him do it. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> he's good. He's that one. He's our our head pastor now. I would call him our head pastor just because he's. More mature than some of the others. Yeah. He's the, he's the one that's writing the commentary on Ephesians right now. Jeff's helping him some, but he's doing a good job. Yeah. Wow. He's one awesome guy. But yeah. do you know, I don't know if we told you while we were had this taped earlier or not, we talked about how afraid this one man was of his son. He's the son. He's the son. Isnay is? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was a long time and ago. And now he's the pastor of the church. That's yeah. right. He was the one that his dad was afraid of him shooting him with a slingshot. And he was getting that kid with he was he was a terror. He would he And then was, he got saved. Yeah, and he was he, a thief. He and was, he was he he took his kid from his wife and wouldn't let her nurse. Oh, well, he her. beat her up. Beat, uh, he, and she's yeah, the one she's the wife that stands by her husband. Yeah. So when they come out of a when they come out of a lifestyle like that, for us, deliverance and salvation looks like, okay, I have a horrible past. I come out of that, I mourn over that sin, I look at it and realize what it is, I hate it, I hate my old self, and I can mark a point where I'm no longer that person. Is it the same for them? 
Do they, does he look back at that life and hate the man that he once was and realizes that's a different man? Or does he... I don't know. That's a good question. Or is to, to them, is it just like, I, I used growing. to do this, yeah, I think it's just and growing. now I do this? I think it's more like that. They, because they see it as growing. They, they, use, that they use the word that we are growing. They, they say my insides... Yeah, uh, let's see how I say it in Monahui. Uh, and what it means is he says, my, my likeness, my inner likeness is growing up. That's what he's saying. That's they talk about that yeah, that's sanctification. Yeah, that's exactly that's right. They but they use it. And they're always much. saying, and, and they pray, they say, God, he says, I want, I'm asking you that you will cause me, to my inner being, my inner likeness to grow up more and to, so that I am more like you. That's how they, that's what they say. They're always asking God to do that. And, and that's the way they see that, I think. It's not that it's a, you know, all of a sudden a break with sin and boom there. It's just that little by little growing, 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 growing. And, uh, we, we haven't talked about him very much to him about what his past was like. So I don't know how he feels about all that stuff, but he knows he's not that man anymore. He knows he's been changed. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah Culturally knows. speaking, I don't think we ever talk to somebody about their badness no, from the past. No, because if we did talk about how he used to be, I think that would be an insult. I think that would be like saying you probably are going to be like that again. Mm-hmm. It, they would read that differently than what we would see it. Yeah, they don't. You don't You don't talk about somebody and what they they did before. They like that, slapping them in the face with it, I think. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you're dragging that out again. Yeah, yeah kind of like that. So we just praise the Lord that they're no longer like that. <laughs> That, yeah. The old man that I mean, they talk about how they used to be fearful. They yeah. don't have any problem no, about praying that, yeah. and praying that they used to be fearful and stuff. Thanking but, God that they're you know, no longer afraid. But I don't yeah. think they would necessarily talk to each other. Maybe about, things that have to do with their how their culture has been changed or their thinking has been changed. Right, but they're, they're not fine the, with talking about change in thinking, but yeah. being radically delivered from a horribly abusive sin no, to I don't light. Know. Yeah. That would be a different way. They would not talk about that in those terms. Probably not. So words like, and these are theological words, uh, sanctification, justification, glorification. How do you translate some of those concepts into Manhui? Well, again, those are those are abstract nouns, and we would have to come up with an action. Uh, so you, you're taking a noun, yeah. like, okay, like, like take righteousness, for instance. You take a noun like righteousness, yeah. and you want to talk in, say, Philippians 3, I'm, I want to, I need a righteousness that is not my own, a righteousness not derived from the law, but one that is given to me. So it's an alien righteousness. Yeah, and it's actually really simple. You would just say that God has caused me, God has, sees me as good now. Because That's of justification. what Christ has done. Yeah. So do you, do you ever get in your translation to words like that or concepts like that where you have just said, Let's introduce a new word. Let's let's create or coin a word in Manhui for this. Yeah, do I do, do that in translation. Come I do, up and and say, I say, let's just use. Say, can uh, I say this concept because I can take I can take suffixation and add it on a word they already have, thinking that that might work in that instance. And so I say, now I don't know exactly what your language would say, but it seems to me that I could say this in this area, and I give them the context, and then I slap that. Gordy Hunt word made uh, word that that I created in Manhui, and I, I read that to him, and he'll sit there and he'll think and he'll scratch his head and and I'll say, well, he says, I I think I know what you mean, and I would say it this way, and he'll just rattle off this long phrase that means exactly that. <laughs> and I say, but now then- can you say it any shorter than that? 
No, because if I cut that off, then it wouldn't say that, what you were saying. He says, I know what you want, but we don't have that word. We don't have that word, but you now I know what you mean. He says, and this is how you'd say it. Now give it to me. But when we did, when you that one time you tried online and caused the kids, yeah, ca- it, it yeah, was, and it did fly. It yeah. says cause that you got to obey. Cause the kids to obey by your making them obey, yeah. teaching Timothy, them to obey. Yeah. He put a causative on this. I just verb put a causative on and a word. And he says, oh yeah, says, that works. He says, but yeah. He says, he says it means I've got to make the kids do it. Yeah. <laughs> he says that's right. It works yeah. in the language. They just hadn't thought of a concept it wasn't before. Right. Yeah, they hadn't had that concept. Yeah. Causatives are incredible. So sometimes you try them and it doesn't work, and sometimes it does. But at least they're getting the idea of what we're searching for, like he said, and they'll come. And then up they'll with come a up phrase. with a phrase that's. And then a lot of times then it's an idiomatic phrase, which is fine. You want idioms in there to, that makes the language live. And they actually do have some phrases that are are like idioms that are just exactly like English. Yeah. I was walking with one lady, and she I, we think she had polio. And um, she's walking slow, and she says, oh, I'm just like a turtle. I know exactly what she meant. But it doesn't happen not very always often. Not. They don't have near as many as we do mm-hmm. in English. They're far more literal. Far more literal. Yeah. So describe to me something that would be how they would use a literal sense in their language. Hmm. Well, okay, for instance... Maybe as an example from Scripture, when Jesus said, I am the door. If I said it like that, Jesus said he was the door. Or Jesus said, I am the door, or I am the way. Then they would say, well, how could he be a way when he's a person? Or how could he be a door when he's a man? So they don't have categories for that type of a metaphor simile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. So but, how do you translate that? Well, I would say Jesus said this, I am like a door because you can you have to come through me to get to God. You have to pull all that in there. And so you you take the metaphor and you turn it into a simile and then you explain the simile. In Manhui. Now that isn't always in all tribal languages. A lot of times they, they have a, a similar simile <laughs> or a simile a similar metaphor that they can use and then you get away with it. But Manhuis have very sim, very few. So, so do they use any metaphors like that? Very, very few. They just will not say it. They, they don't say, say I am a, they will say I am like yeah. a, and that's a simile instead. Whereas Jesus went to say I am the word, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now if I called you a sluggard, they, they don't have any concept for what, what the picture of a sluggard means. No, if, but you can say he is a skunk. He is a skunk? Does that mean mm-hmm. he stinks? You have that one. No. No. It means he's a liar. A liar? A skunk is a liar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, so they do have a few of them. But they're but almost not, always bad. Not yeah. very many. Not very many. But they do have. Yeah, a skunk. You can call. You don't want to be called. You don't want to call somebody a skunk, or you don't want to be called one. So it's a very uh, tangible, literal, literal. Tangible, yeah. That's why I mean by literal. language. It's yeah. tangible. They, yeah. they things for uh, abstract nouns for them are verbs. Yeah, you have to be a verb. But if it's it a noun, it has seen. to be something seen, touched, felt, or exactly. experienced. Yeah, yeah. That's all. The five senses. Mm-hmm. There is one they do have, and I'm surprised they did, and that is anger. They have a word for anger. It's because it's such an important not just thing can in they their say, life. Not just can they say he is angry, or he shouldn't get angry, but they also have a word for wrath or anger. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about God's wrath. That's now, one, but okay, I so just don't have hardly any others. You can talk about God's wrath, but to them, 
being angry is one of the only two sins. That's right. And and but that's okay that God can get angry because God's anger is different from a man's anger. They yeah. actually already made that connection. They already made that connection when you would assign the attribute of anger to God. Mm-hmm. You'd already explained sin, yeah. violating the rules, so they understood that. Mm-hmm. Interesting, isn't it? And, yeah, and they understood that it wasn't sinful for God to be angry. And yet it's one of their major sins. Yeah, I thought that was rather remarkable. It's kind of encouraging to us to talk about this kind of yeah. stuff because now we don't, we haven't been looking back to way, way back, mm-hmm. you know. But it is just yeah. once again makes us ourselves having been through it. Makes you realize amazed how far those people have come. The Lord has yeah. done in those See, guys we don't lives. we don't just review all these things ourselves all the time. But then when you start going over some of them, they have come. Uh, it's not that they themselves have come yeah. there, but God has done a remarkable work in there. Yeah. Just lives. the relationship they have with Jeff yeah. compared to a lot. It was like when we first got there. Yeah. There, there's so much more freedom. Yeah. There, there. When we first got there, food was like we said a very important thing. You couldn't even. You, you couldn't say, "I am going into my house now to eat lunch." Oh no! Don't do that because that's that like slapping them in the face. Go eat all your food you want. We're stopping. We're here starving. starving. And they were always starving. They had food, but they were always starving. Yeah. But now, that was an insult. now the guys will say, "Jeff, your wife's probably got your supper again. Go, go on in. Go I'm going to go home we'll too." Go home. It's just, it's just a different yeah. world, and they, the way they, they don't. They're not so worried about their gardens, you know. They can share more. They can. They don't have to hide them near as much. It's just, it's just amazing, even in their, in that one little teeny tiny. And you, area. you had to learn that by experience. Oh yeah. You leave the campfire to go in and eat your dinner, and then you come out and everybody's mad at you, and you have to figure out why. Yeah. Why well, yeah. just going in? Just going in, they would start yelling at you. At yeah, go eat your food. Even not talking about food because. They don't live inside houses. Oh, no. And for we us came to in the house, in we're, house hiding. we're hiding We're hiding, from hiding in the house. Oh, come on. Why are you hiding from us? They huh. don't live in houses. We One time I was with, it was actually Isne's granddaughter. I was just born, and the daughter had the baby in the house. They just had one little room. She was in there doing something. The baby was crying. Her mom yelled, take the baby out of the house. The baby doesn't want to be in the house. It wants to be outside. Yeah. That's why it's crying. That's what she attributed to his crime. Well, they they to don't live in homes. They don't like homes. Taking people to the hospital and oh, they happen to stay them. in the room, it They'd drove be them outside sitting crazy. Yeah. I just want to be outside. I just want to be outside. They do not live in houses. Well, yeah, it's funny more too. More and more the age nowadays are. And and years ago, when we first went out to the Monhui tribe, a church in the states in California had sent some money down to build homes for the Monhui. Apparently, they'd seen pictures from our coworkers. And so they knew those people needed houses. So they sent this money down. They didn't have homes. And so, and I was a part of that back then, uh, of helping to build some houses for the Monhui people. Because they just needed homes, you know. They just needed something to live in. Those people didn't need anything. But the home was there, and so they would stuff all their stuff in, and then they'd live outside in front of it. You know? <laughs> the home was a storage unit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then the houses, and they were grass-roofed at first, because we the money didn't cover tin for the roofs. And so there was these houses. I think there were eight of them, weren't there? Or mm-hmm. Ten of them? There were about eight of them. You know, they just built them, you know, in a big, a couple of big circles. And the people would live out in front of them. Well, they'd get in when it rained, but mm-hmm. otherwise they'd be outside. And uh, then the houses, little by little, started falling down. After It was just a year went by or so, and the houses were caving in, or the roofs would go bad. And so we would encourage them, you know, go out and cut more grass. You know how to do it. We showed you how to do it. You know, just go cut more grass and, and re-roof so. the house. Why? 
Those are your houses, they would say. They would tell you us. fix them. Yeah, you are the ones. That, we are, they actually ours. paid the one who is to build their own houses. So the houses fell down. We didn't do anything about them. We're, we're not going to go out and pay them to fix them again. You know? What is the one thing in life that they would be content with? A tarp. Yeah, tarp is great. As long as they got a tarp. Yeah, tarp is good. Did they not? Do they not even live in tents? They just live outside. Well, they did live just Only outside in the trees. Right. They you just need no a tarp homes. to get out of the rain. This is the older generation we're talking about. Okay. The younger generation the, the, do like their the, homes. The and younger they're building homes. People now, you're aging down. Okay. Now they like having a place, but they still live outside. They don't live in it. That's their it's storage too hot place. In those mm. <laughs> too hot in our But house. they will build one. You know, they'll build an outhouse. They like the outhouse idea, and uh, they. They don't see it as we see it, that's for sure. Because their living room is all out, and their stuff, their blankets and pots and things are just spread everywhere. I, I could show you pictures that, you know. You I, I've we've seen some of them. Some of you probably haven't. You've shown us, yeah, yeah. People sitting around with their stuff spread out just all underneath of the tarp. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. blankets. So like a camping site. Blankets will sit out in the rain, and they'll just rot. But it, value is not... That's another concept, trying to teach value. Well, we can't teach value anyway. Because if you just make it, if you know what, they want something so bad, you want to make it so expensive so they know how valuable it is. Baloney. Doesn't matter what it costs. Still going to get wasted because they have no value. Hmm. That's why there's no word for respect yeah. or value anything. Yeah, there's no value. Nothing's valuable. I mean, the problem is they'll buy a brand new radio. They'll spend a month's wages on this radio. And... They can't protect it because they can't be stingy with it. And their kids want to play with it, so they you have to let the kids, kids play no. with it. You don't tell your kids no. So the radio gets busted in a week. Well, it, didn't, it just wasn't valuable. So they have motors now, motorcycles. Yeah. And, and, and somebody wants to borrow it. You just you let can. them. They might not know how to ride yeah. a motorcycle. And so value <laughs> and, and responsibility and respect, those are all things that are still way foreign in their and even in their culture, even the believers today. Well... But they're going to learn. They will learn. They, eventually they will. And right now I don't think that's the important, it's not important thing in their lives. Or What is important to the believers is to listen to the Holy Spirit and to not drink because drinking, they know, ruins their, their testimony in their lives. And, and they're uh, good about checking to see if, it, if, if the Bible says it. Yeah, if the Bible says it, then it's true. If we can't find the Bible, it's not true. It's not true. You know, that... That in itself will teach them that's right. value and respect and honor over the course of time. Exactly right. Those and they that, will learn that Their worldview will be mm-hmm. built yep. by their information and of Scripture. I would, I would rather go by Scripture than what somebody told them. Right. Yeah, definitely. And there's another thing. We are very thankful. There has been no Mormons come in. There's been no Jehovah's Witnesses come in. There's been no... Uh, Roman Catholics. Anybody. you know, And no uh, ecology people. Uh, what do you call those guys? Tree huggers or new agers, new agers. No, that's pantheism. They're too far out. So they've been very fortunate that we were the first ones in there, and they're basing everything on the Word of God. But they still do need a lot of prayer because there are things that are coming in. They 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 get all the videos. Oh yeah, pornography is coming. That's getting mad and like like getting the drink out there. That's getting mad, and it's just the young people are starting to. Find out how easy it is to get hop on somebody's motorcycle and go in and buy whiskey and bring it back out there. There's actually, the Paraguayan law says that an indigenous person can't bring alcohol into their community. It's actually a law. And, and it's 
I believe that the reason for that is because they know that those poor people are going to want to drink to bury their sorrows, and, and that's all they can, all they have. is, And so they've made a law that says no alcoholic beverages can be carried into their villages. They have signs posted out on the highway saying that. Because well, they we still have, um, market. what are market titles? We have uh, uh, guys that bring the supplies. Big trucks of in people a truck selling out things. And they sell it out to people, and they'll they'll try to bring alcohol out to them. And that's illegal. And they, they actually will stop them and tell them don't bring it in. Huh. Which is nice. But the young people still somehow get hold of it. They had, a, they had a problem here a few months ago with one guy was bringing alcohol in, and he was selling it. To the children, thinking, he says anyway, the children, he was, the children were buying it for their parents. Well, actually what was happening was the kids were buying it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And we had a whole bunch of drunk kids, little kids, his age. You're not talking about big kids. And it made the community so mad and they kicked the guy out and wouldn't let him back in. He said, why is this there? I thought they were buying it for their parents. And then somebody told me, mind. It was again, and it was so they reminded him it was against the law anyway for maybe even there selling alcohol at all. And so he, he left and never came back. But, uh, but man, you should have heard some of the Christians talking about how bad this guy had forced their kids to drink it. He had forced the kids to drink alcohol. In their idea. In their mind. If it's yeah. available, they yeah. offer it they to couldn't their kids. Stop. And, but it was quite something to have them on Hooli tell him. Yeah, they totally told him. They're not confrontive people. And it was some of the believers' kids that actually drank, so it was kind of a, mm-hmm. it was hard on them. Yeah. They said, well, if my kid's going to be a drunkard, I can't no longer be an elder in the church or a leader. Mm-hmm. He said, well, it's not exactly the way it works. So we had a little teaching session at the same time. Very those, are the, those are the kind of things that are hard to know what to do with, some of those things. Yeah. That's That was the same time they started the prayer meetings for, to, to pray, pray for, for the for young the kids, young the young people. They knew they needed to pray for them. And it's made a remarkable difference, too, because... By their praying, by the fact of them publicly praying, even though they were meeting in small groups early, early in the morning, everybody knew about it. And so the kids, all the kids quit messing around, too, because they knew they were being prayed for. <laughs> when you're living in Indian so it kind Indian of worked both ways. The Holy Spirit everybody did it, but everything. the kids themselves realized, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Whatever it was they were doing, stealing or drinking or whatever. So You have a fight with your husband. Everybody in the village oh, knows. Oh, my that. word. It's public there knowledge. It's nothing. Yeah. Nothing is done in secret. <laughs> Not when you live in a village. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, you guys, for taking the time and doing our interviews.